Are you ready to turn your investments into retirement income? Listen in as Jeremy Kyle and his guests reveal ways you can make smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions to achieve your ideal retirement. You will learn more about your money so you can feel better about your money and make better money decisions. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Retirement Revealed. I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into retirement income. And today we're talking with David Stein about money for the rest of us. Uh, I was introduced to David when his team reached out to me about I-bonds a few months ago. They loved our article, but noticed a typo. And I was so grateful, like, thanks for helping me out. Uh, then they asked me to take a look at their I-bonds article, which was fun to talk through. And I thought, these guys are so educational, so collaborative. Uh, let's have David on here to talk about money for the rest of us. David, welcome to the show. That's great, Jeremy. It's good to be here. Yeah. And of course, uh, we were talking beforehand, you are a podcaster in the investing world. Tell us a little bit about your podcast, your blog, Money for the Rest of Us. Tell us a little about that. Sure. So the Money for the Rest of Us podcast has been around for approaching nine years. So I had launched a podcast a couple of years after exiting uh, the investment advisory business that, that I had. We were institutional money managers and I was just in my mid forties and, and ready for a change. So, uh, but I found I missed the education component. We worked with a lot of not-for-profit boards. And while I didn't miss the stress of managing assets, I did miss the education component. So I, I launched the podcast about nine years ago and we we were there to teach people about money, how it works, how investing works, how the economy works. And so we're there to teach. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm picking up on why you said money for the rest of us as a institutional money manager, even though you're talking to some nonprofits, you're probably talking generally to people with a million dollar plus, maybe even tens or hundreds of millions of dollars if you're talking to uh, some of the institutions uh, that are out there. So I'm, I'm understanding why you call that money for the rest of us. And I'm, am I on the right track there? You know, it's sort of open for interpretation that the, the name Money for the Rest of Us came from, I have a, a good friend, Bernadette Jiwa, who is a marketer based in Australia. And, and she came up with this name and said, you need to write a book titled Money for the Rest of Us. And the URL is available. And she didn't really describe what it meant. So I thought, that's a good <laughs> idea. So I, I, I wrote a book and then realized I didn't have anybody to read the book because I had no platform. Sure. And so that's when I, I launched the podcast and ran that podcast for six years before I actually wrote a different book, which we titled Money for the Rest of Us. But for me, you know, the rest of us is is not those that aren't on Wall Street. So it's individual mm -hmm. investors. That's our focus of our, our education, helping them understand the world of, of finance, investing, and, and really teaching them principles of how to invest and taking a lot of what I learned as an institutional investor and applying it to individuals. Because to be honest, it doesn't matter how much money you have. A lot of these principles are the same, whether you're a multimillionaire, hundreds of millions, or, or just, you know, dealing with your 401k that's, you know, less than six figures. Yeah, you got it. And I'd like to talk about some of those principles. We're going to talk about a resource you have on your website called the investing checklist does that mention the principles at all i, I love the checklist does, does that no, i mean that those, those those basically are yeah, are examples of principles and, and the checklist really came out of 
of the book that which is called money for the rest of us 10 questions to master successful investing and and these checklist items are really those questions that are discussed in, in more detail in the book and that the really questions that we should ask or answer ask and answer anytime yeah. we do an investing and, and the whole idea is you know at our old firm we spent a lot of time conducting due diligence on investment managers hedge funds other private equity managers and skilled investors have some type of investment philosophy they have a framework and as individuals we should also have some type of framework that guides our investment decisions and this checklist really is an attempt to address a framework that can help individuals with their investing yeah i think that uh, when i talk to investors and they're generally coming to me for both kind of retirement financial planning advice like should i take my pension as a lump sum or a monthly annuity when should i file for social security and they're also asking about investing questions like should i buy this stock or bond and it's usually about how far they go uh, is should i do this to have a framework is a great way to go and when you're making decisions having a process is a good good way to go so i appreciate you putting that together we're going to definitely talk about uh the investing checklist but i'm curious if you don't mind i'm wondering because you talk to advisors not to advisors but um well i'm probably advisors investors you're running across you're educating people what are some of the mistakes misconceptions things that you find most often are leading people down the wrong path people tend to to chase whatever the shiniest toy is so whatever mm -hmm. is hitting in the news and i see this with a lot of newer investors so they hear crypto is is doing very very well and so next thing you know they're buying crypto which you know is okay to, if, if it's a small amount but oftentimes people put too much in without really understanding what it is they're investing in and then again it gets to kind of circle back to you know for example the, the first question on this checklist is what is it and and this this question really comes from in my early days as an investment advisor i was working with a university endowment and the head of the investment committee said i won't invest anything in anything you know or recommend to our board to invest in anything if i can't explain it to other board members that aren't on the investment committee and, and that's really was a really good rule of thumb because we ought to be able to explain in simple terms to a friend or family member any investment that was going that we're going in or, or going to we're considering and the reason why is just the act of explaining teaching humbles us because we realize well maybe we don't know as much as we think we do on that investing on that investment and so just being able to to answer simply what is it is a very good foundation for investing because it helps us to be humble and realize well maybe we need to do a little more research to understand the investment yeah I like that uh humility part i haven't thought of that before but i think you're right on it just shows if you can't explain it then maybe you don't understand it the way you thought that uh, you did I've always had the thought I'd give a lot of webinars and webinars now that it's the kind of the new world used to be seminars. But one reason I did that is I thought if I can kind of explain things to 20 people in a room, uh, it just gives me a, a better sense and ability to understand it and help apply it to the one person at a time that I'm talking to. But that idea of kind of humility, just, it sounds like a good idea in your head, but when you can 
say it out there. And if the other person doesn't understand it, that's not their problem. It's your problem. And it's maybe your problem that you need to learn a little bit more about this investment. So I, I like that aspect of it, of just question number one of the investing checklist is what is it? <laughs> what is this thing? All right. And the next question he said, is it investing, speculating or gambling, which a lot of times people kind of confuse those. And I'm really curious on your, I guess, decision on what is speculating versus gambling. Well, let's start with investing. Investing is something that has a positive expected return. So a piece of real estate is an investment because you're receiving rental income. You know, most stocks are investments because there's a dividend stream. So there's something there that generally some type of income or at least earnings that suggest that the return will be positive. Gambling is something where the return is negative. So it has a negative expected return. So if you go to Vegas, the house wins in Vegas if you're there long enough. And so people gamble for entertainment. You don't gamble to make money because the odds are against you. And then speculation would be somewhere in between where there's some disagreement whether the return will be positive or negative. An example would be gold or cryptocurrency or something where it has to go up in price, but there's really no cash flow associated with it. And so it it, it that success depends on individuals, institutions being willing to pay more for some asset, some speculative asset where there's disagreement on, on what it's worth, or you can't even value it because there is no cash flow component. You know, what is gold worth? It's worth whatever investors are willing to pay for it over time, because even something like gold, except for a small use case for jewelry, there isn't really any use for gold other than to store it, to hoard it, to, to admire it. And so then it just becomes kind of, it's a speculation by nature because nobody actually knows what it's worth and there's disagreement on what that would be. Yeah, I like this uh, definition of gambling as a negative expected return. So I hear from people all the time, they say, it's like, oh, it's just a crapshoot. You know, investing is just a gamble. What are the odds that waiting on social security works? Like it's just kind of a coin flip, right? That's kind of these this thought process that almost gambling investing are the same thing, I think leads us down a couple paths. It leads us down the path of, I might as well go for broke in the crazy investment world because investing is gambling, but no, it's different, you know, or, or maybe I ought to just gamble anyways and buy the lottery ticket anyways, because hey, it's no different than investing. But it's interesting where a lot of people almost associate anything related to odds and probability as gambling, but just, using that phrase right there, negative expected return, just the idea of what's the expected return just really pulls out whether something's an investment or a gamble. Uh, Cause I'm thinking of right now, waiting on social security, there are odds that it might work out or not. You can actually determine those odds. So a lot of times people just say like, oh, it's a crap shoot. It's a, it's a coin flip as if you can't figure it out. Well, you can figure it out. Like you, just because there's odds related to waiting on social security and whether it's a good idea or not, doesn't mean that it's a gamble. Uh, you can actually calculate the expected return of waiting on social security. You can calculate the expected return if you invest in uh, an index fund. And yes, there are odds and probabilities that it might not work out. And they just kind of associate odds and probabilities with gambling. And so a lot of times when people say that investing is just a gamble, I'll say, yes, except you're the house. When you are investing, you're the house because the market usually wins. And if you play around long enough, uh, the house usually wins when you're gambling, which one would you rather be? 
And so it's, uh, I've been up in the air, just kind of my own internal dialogue is, do I try to dissuade people from thinking investing is gambling just because they associate with that? Or do you just go with that and say, you know what? You're right. Investing is gambling, except you're the house and you can mm -hmm. figure out the odds and the uh, positive expected return on that. Well, I, absolutely. I think, I think it's a worthwhile discussion and, and it, it becomes a good base to provide some education. And, you know, just in case of social security, like how many people have not gotten their social security since it's been right. Yeah. Everyone's gotten it. So, you know, that there is a small probability the government decides to not pay it anymore, mm -hmm. but no politician would dare do that. So, you know, I think social security is a pretty sure bet. Yeah. And, and it has a positive expected return as do, do most investments, stocks, bonds, real estate, because again, that, that's a good analogy. You're the house. You're receiving that income. That income can be valued. And that's why it's positive. It's Jeremy Kyle here. And I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal Podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our five-step retirement plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement, investment, and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to 5stepretirementplan.com, use the number or spell it out, you'll get there either way. 5stepretirementplan.com. Thanks for listening, and now for the rest of the show. Yeah, I like this, uh, another one you have on there, which is who is on the other side of the trade? And you being in the institutional investment world uh, for the beginning part of your career, I think you'll have a better way to explain this than, that, than I do, but that's that's something I try to bring up with people and that oftentimes uh, a new investor to us, they'll have the expectation, they'll say, hey, you'll call me before the market drops, right? You'll call me when it's a good time to sell. That's how it works out. And they've got this feeling that somehow either them with their millions of dollars or me with the hundreds of millions of dollars that we've got under management, somehow we can perhaps be the ones with the edge. And I read the Wall Street Journal. I, I have a CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst. Like I know what's going on on the other side of trade. Like there are high frequency traders whose biggest way to get ahead is to get their computer closer to the computer of the New York Stock Exchange. And somehow us in Milwaukee or Florida or wherever you are, think we can beat that, right? I like this idea of, of what you talk about. Who was on the other side of the trade? Can you just tell us more about that? Well, sure. I mean, you, you, you outlined it very well is to ask when, whenever one is buying an investment, you know, who's selling it to them. So if it's some stock to startup company, typically it's, it's a publicly traded security. Let's say it's IBM. You know, there are, there are, 30 or 50 analysts that are sitting there analyzing that company, breaking down the financials, they're talking to management, there's high frequency traders, there's hedge funds. And so a stock is, the price of a stock is based on the consensus of investors. And so when we're buying a stock, typically it's an institution selling it to us because they're involved in it. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, when we buy the stock, if it's at the consensus, you know, the consensus is usually right. So when we're buying something, we're suggesting that everyone else is wrong mm -hmm. and that the, the stock will go up in price. Because in order for a stock to go up in price, it has to do better than what everyone already expects. 
because the consensus is what everybody expects and that's what they have valued an asset. And so it's this idea that there needs to be a positive surprise in order to, to outperform the market because you do better than what everybody thought. Something unexpected happened. And that's incredibly difficult to do as an investor. And it gets to you know, one of the other questions, what does it take to be successful? And we don't want to have our investment success dependent on outsmarting other investors to have to have some type of informational edge. That's great for hedge funds and that's why they're 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 billionaires and they get 20% of the profit because sometimes a small portion of those hedge funds actually can outsmart the consensus. But us in our house as individual investors, we don't have those type of resources. We don't have that type of expertise and that's why we, again we need to invest in a way that we don't have to be smarter than everybody else. And that's typically by buying a basket of securities through an exchange traded fund, perhaps buy you know, more value oriented ETFs where there's a great deal of pessimism for those stocks. So there's, there's potentially more upside surprises because of the pessimism that you often see with the value investment style. But, but that gets the odds in our favor. So we're not dependent on outsmarting other people. We recognize whenever we buy something, it's often an institutional selling it to us. And so we just want to structure things where we have a positive expected return because of the structure of the investment rather than having to be smarter than everybody else. Yeah, like I said, structure of the investment, because that's one of your thoughts and checklists is just what is the investment vehicle? Is it a individual stock, mutual fund? exchange traded fund, but kind of our conversation here on who's the other side of the trade and the structure on the investment, that just reminds me a lot when people start asking me about, about options. And one of the things that kind of uh, sours me a bit on options is when you go and invest, like you call a basket of stocks, index funds, ETFs, like you're participating in the, the U S economy, the world economy, when you make money, like just about everyone else makes money, like everyone wins when the stock market goes up, you know, generally speaking. But when it comes to the options, like you're literally betting against somebody else and that somebody else very often might be the billion dollar hedge fund. So uh, tell me what, what's your thought on options? How do you feel about options just generally as an investment vehicle? Well, it, it depends on, on how you approach it. If it's an option on an individual, you know, stock or bond, you're right. You're, the, the success of that option strategy depends on you being right. And that's incredibly difficult to do, particularly over a short-term timeframes. Now, there, there are option strategies where you can actually pick up some income. And so, for example, it's called harvesting the risk premium. And one of the things you see with options is because more people want to hedge and protect against market losses, the volatility that's priced in the options is actually higher than the actual volatility of the stock market. So there, there's strategies. So there's you know an ETF like PUTW, where they're basically selling. You know, it's an option strategy. They're just collecting the income, and they write very short-term options, put options, and they collect that income. And because over time, volatility of the stock market is less than what's actually priced in, it's a, it's an option strategy that, you know, over the long term returns six to 7%. But again, that's an example of taking advantage of a structure. Like it isn't dependent on predicting the stock market's return over, you know, for a given stock over a few days, 
it's based on the fact that over a 30-day window, generally speaking, investors are willing to pay for protection more than what it should actually cost. And so that's an example taking the other side of the trade. It's like, all right, we'll make that bet. And historically, it's been a good income generating strategy. Now, that's that's a complicated example, but that's an example that don't run out and buy PUTW unless you actually understand you know, what harvesting the risk premium means and understand the structure of it. But that, I think it's a great example. Is it, we can't just say options are bad. In most cases, probably not great for individual investors, but there are some select use cases where it actually can make sense. Yeah, it's interesting where uh, it goes back to your, is this speculation, is this investments? So I'm thinking of just even both sides of the insurance equation. Sometimes people have individual stocks where it might be a good idea to kind of buy the insurance in case that individual stock goes down. Uh, also too, to think of options like insurance, like there's insurance companies that are out there. Insurance companies make money in, in general. And so I, I'm imagining the strategy that you're describing is kind of like being the insurance company. Like you're, mm -hmm. you're willing to take that, that risk premium, uh, like you said, and, and you have the expected return that it should work out in the long run. And so it just, uh, I got a feeling the people that put together that ETF that put together those strategies have gone through some framework. I imagine maybe not your specific one, but they've gone through the framework to understand exactly what's going on and why they're buying the option, uh, as opposed to, okay, this is, uh, this is, you know, just something that you can make money on. It's, uh, it's no, a exactly. way to kind of gamble. Yep. But like even insurance company, insurance companies don't make money every year, right? They make money over the long term. I mean, especially if you're a catastrophic type insurance company protecting against hurricanes, the hurricanes come through, you lose money. But the idea is to, you know, over the long term, and Warren Buffett has made millions, if not, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, basically investing in insurance, recognizing that you know, here's a way that over the long term, the odds are in your favor. And they're, and those are the type of investments that we want, where a long enough holding period, patience, we can meet our, our long-term financial goals by investing in positive expected return investments. Yeah, that's that. I like that. And uh, there's one more in here I want to talk through before we uh, get, get towards finishing up. But one one of your questions, I, th I think it's one of the most impactful one is, which is who is getting a cut? And so I'll talk to people and they'll uh, describe maybe an investment or uh, especially when it comes to annuities a lot of times, and I'm thinking of one in particular, fixed index annuities. A lot of times people will describe to me how this is you know, an investment and there's no fees uh, with it. And it's like, wait a second, somebody is selling you this and there should be and could be quite a lot of reasons why it would be a good thing for somebody individually. But I think this is a good question to ask is anytime somebody telling you here's a good investment or here's something that you ought to look into, who is getting a cut? How much of a cut are they getting? I think that's a, a great question. Well, well sure, certainly we need to understand the fee structures, be it a commission, be it an asset management fee, be it some performance based fee. You know, an example of fixed income index annuities, those those are probably the most complicated investments to understand, mainly because, you know, the return stream is often very difficult to figure out what the returns are going to be. And, you know, mm -hmm. oftentimes people invest in those and have no idea that, oh, we don't actually get dividends from the, the actual index because, again, <laughs> they're sold by an insurance company. Insurance companies are there to make a profit and they don't want to be 
exposed to what the market does. So they want to go, they're going out and they're buying options and they're structuring, maybe it's a private contract to cover their basis. And so, you know, as investors, we need to understand, you know, what fees are involved in that, but even understand how is this investment supposed to make money? And what's the expect, you know, we didn't talk about the upside or downside of investments, which are two of the other questions, but understand any investment, you know, what has to happen in order to generate that positive return? And what's the worst case scenario? You know, what's the maximum potential loss for this investment? And that way we're covering all the bases. And then, you know, at that point we have a good frame of reference for making decisions because we've we've kind of checked off, you know, one by one, these are important questions to answer and not that we're going to be an expert on it. Like it, we're never going to be an expert on any given investment, but if we can at least answer some basic questions and that will help us make better decisions. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I, I appreciate talking through uh, some of these questions on the checklist. I found the checklist uh, on your website. So it's a 10 question checklist, but also there you've got your book. It's money for the rest of us, 10 questions to master successful investing. We love books, we love giveaways. And so uh, something we do quite often, the first three people that email me, it's podcast at kylefp.com. I'll send you a copy of, of David's book, The Money for the Rest of Us. And of course, we'll have a link to that in the show notes too. If you uh, happen to not beat the rush, you can go find it through the link on the show notes uh, as well too. Well, I've got one more question for you, uh, David, but before we get to that, can you tell us what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Sure, you can you can find uh, all our stuff at moneyfortherestofus.com. There's there's contact form emails on there, uh, but that's really the best place to start. A lot of free investment guides on there to help in as well as the investing checklist. Excellent. And of course, if you're interested in anything that we're doing uh, here, you can check us out at retirement-revealed.com. All right, final question for you, David. Tell us something about yourself that few people know about, and remember this podcast is rated clean. Wow, that's uh, you know, I'm pretty upfront and frank at my podcast, so uh, I'm trying to think of something people don't know about myself because I, you know, our our podcast is very narrative driven, story driven. So you know, if I get a good story or something interesting happen, I'm usually sharing it and using an analogy as an investment. So I, you know, I can't. I really, honestly. I'm pretty much an open book, so I, I, I I'm going to have to punt on that question. That's all right. It just uh, shows the power of a story and being vulnerable. And I imagine that's uh, what's brought you up. You have tens of thousands of listens every episode uh, to your podcast. So I just encourage everyone to, to go listen to that, the money for the rest of us. Awesome. Well, well, David, thanks for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun. We've learned quite a bit. I've learned quite a bit. Definitely appreciate you taking the time to, to visit with us. No, certainly. I appreciate the opportunity, Jeremy. Yeah, it's been great. And thank you for listening to The Retirement Revealed podcast. We believe if you know more about your money, you'll feel better about your money and you will make better money decisions. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Revealed podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit retirement-revealed.com to learn more. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. 
Kyle Financial Partners is a part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.